Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Be the Church podcast, where we are engaging in conversations that will encourage you, David, Kevin, me, all of you, to live out your faith in everyday context so that you can be the church. I'm your producer, Isaiah. I'm one of your hosts, Kevin Anderson. And I'm your other host, David Dominguez. Absolutely. And we are continuing, as most of you know, through our series in the book, Gentle and Lowly, which I am holding. And you can see if you're watching right now, if you're listening, well, you can just imagine. Um, or you can email us and say, hey, I like the book and we'll send it to you. So you don't have to imagine and you can follow along. What a concept. Isn't that right, David? Mm, yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um and if you would like the questions, they are in the description below for a link and uh, you can buy it there or you can email us and, uh, you know, we can talk more about stuff. Yeah. Uh, and you can email us. I forgot to tell you where at podcast at alatheagainesville.com. That is our email address. Um, so. We are having a special episode where we are doing two chapters this week. How exciting. Um, they go together really well. Like they... <laughs> it's not Tuesday. It should be. Uh, if only it was Tuesday. Uh, you guys don't actually know when we record this. It'll be a mystery. All you know is that it's released on Friday. <laughs> well, now they know it's not Tuesday. So right. Well, it's not Tuesday. Maybe one day you'll find out. And they know that it's released on Friday. So we've eliminated two of the seven days. Or we could record and release right away. It's true. We could. It sounds like a lot of work, though. <laughs> Something I Too much work for it. me. Yeah, I'm, I'm not one to work too hard. So, um, yes. <laughs> We're off the rails already, yes. boys. Here we go. Well, Kevin, um, to help those who are jumping in for the first time, uh, what is Gentle and Lowly about? So the book is based off of you know, this idea of what Jesus says and the Gospel of Matthew chapter 11, where Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so you know, the idea behind going through this book and you know the reason why Dane Ortland wrote it in the first place was capturing this idea of what Christ's heart towards us is and what that means for us and how we can you know, really pursue him and know him and know the beauty of um, God's heart towards us. Yeah. And with that, we want to explain why we're going through this book. Um, this is a book that does have some big ideas in here and like, you know, we, we, you might even say heady ideas, but the purpose of this book and why we want to go through it is it wants to take uh, this knowledge from our head, all this stuff we know from scripture and that we can apply from scripture and then really take it into a place where it has meaning and like actual use and like heart behind it in our lives to grow that relationship with God, not just to know about our relationship, but actually 
help facilitate that relationship and really challenge us towards what that can look like. Um, so in that light, uh, David, what are we learning about in chapters, uh, I believe it's 10 and 11 today? Yeah, so I think chapter 10 and 11 are kind of perfect, a perfect summation of what this book as a whole is trying to do. Mm. So just to kind of separate the two ideas and then weave them together, chapter chapter 10 goes and tries to help us see the the beauty of what the heart of Christ is, who he who he is, right? So so the beauty and the appealing aspect of that. And then chapter 11 focuses on the emotional life of Jesus here on earth. So basically what the incarnate outworking of that beautiful heart is here on earth at with a perfect human basically living out the same things that we got that we get to live out and experience so what what we really see is that we we need what what the bible is asking of us is 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 calling us to is not just this realization that god is great Right, that this this idea that he puts in the book that when we we don't mostly need to know that God is great, but we need to know that He is good, right? And that is what draws us to the to the person of Jesus. That's what this book is really trying to get us to see: is not just how many facts and things do I know about Christ and divine attributes, but how does that practically look like, and what does that mean for us even here today? And chapter eleven really really weaves that together with the concepts established in chapter 10. So I'm, I'm really excited about this discussion we're going to have. Yeah. Now, David, I don't expect you to understand the statement I'm about to make, but for all you fours out there who are listening, it sounds like you will enjoy this episode. Mm. Uh, <laughs> that was for you Enneagram people. No idea what that means. Um, it's okay. They're, they tend to be on the more emotional side. Uh, um, so, Kevin, uh, starting out in chapter 10, um, we get to see this really cool contribution that Jonathan Edwards gives to us. And um, what does he kind of tell us about how we should think about the heart of Christ? Yeah, so, you know, Dane quotes, um, you know, part of a sermon that he gives. And if I remember the, the context correctly, he was actually preaching to children. Yes, very, in the church, all, which, very young children. You know, I, I always like, when, this is a tangent already, but whenever you think about the Puritans, you know, like when we when we look at like the modern church today and like the environments we create for kids or like how we update things for them, like the Puritans would just pull their hair out. They'd just be like, nah, dude, like your kids need to be sitting front row center for two hour plus long sermons. Like they got to be ready to go. Like, <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know if they would be big fans of, of what the modern church has kind of done for kids. But anyway, um, you know, he says this, that there is no love so great and so wonderful as that which is in the heart of Christ. And, and the point he's trying to make as, as he says that is that, that we, are, we as human beings um, are in love with, with beauty. Um, I, I think about like your first crush in school was likely the person you found to be the most you know, demonstrably physically attractive, usually most of the time. Um, people travel the world to go to certain art museums to see beautiful artwork. Mm -hmm. um, I think about 
um, people go on certain hikes or will rock climb or do certain things to see uh, beautiful scenes of creation. And so, I, I, in other words, what, what Edwards is saying to us here and what he wants us to see is that we should be attracted to the beauty of Christ's heart towards us, meaning um, it's not enough just to like intellectually understand his heart toward us, which is something I think we've been unpacking as we've read the book together, but really we should be enthralled, encapsulated. We we should be in awe of the beauty that here, here you have God's own son, and here is who he is, right, and all of his magnificence. And when you think of, like, what, what describes that, you just say, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. You know, when I think about my spouse, right, that's probably one of the few people on this earth that I would use, like, that term to describe her, her heart or her, her character, but there are very few people that I would kind of give that that description to um, for good reason. But when we think about the heart of Christ, kind of beautifully encapsulates this idea of how how lovely just his, his very existence is yeah. toward us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, so so much so much good right there. Um, I love I love two things that he says at the very beginning of this chapter. He says that everything that is lovely in God is in Christ. And I, I sat and read that over and over again. And I was like, everything. This, this encompassing word, right? So everything beautiful really is in Christ, right? And then... He uses this analogy, which I love that you went to like a practical example because that's what he's wanting you to think. Like there are people in our lives that show us and have shown us what love and grace looks like masterfully. Like just example after example of long-suffering love and compassion towards us, right? And he says all of that, not just theirs, but like everybody who's done that in humanity, if we compare their love and their grace and their compassion to the perfect love, grace, and compassion that we can find in the person of Christ is like comparing a candle to the burning of the sun, right? Like there's just not, it's not a it's not a comparison, right? Like it's infinitely greater. And so when we take that and, and we we realize that, Kevin's point even makes more sense, right? Mm-hmm. Like we all naturally desire beauty. We all naturally have this desire within our heart for love, grace, compassion that that we seemingly can't find a full fulfillment for here on earth, right? Even within very good and fulfilling relationships, there's still something in our heart that tells us there's just something more that is missing. And 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 what his point is within this chapter and what I think scripture tells us is the answer to that, the personified answer to that is is Jesus Christ, right? Like he is the one that can fill that void and need in our hearts that we can get glimpses of from others, 
but that ultimately we need to come to him for the true fulfillment of that need that we all have in our hearts. Yeah. When we think about what, um, you know, those verses I read earlier in the introduction from Matthew chapter 11, Dane does something really cool. He, he references those and he says, when, when, when referencing Matthew chapter 11, uh, verses 28 through 30, he says, in other words, it is Christ's gentle heart that adorns him with beauty. Or put the other way, what most deeply attracts us to Christ is his gentle, tender, humble heart. You know, it's not something we, we frequently talk about as, and maybe we do sometimes, but we don't regularly talk about the attractiveness of Christ. But if you think about it, if any of us have, have truly experienced the magnitude of, of God's grace and mercy towards us in the Lord, I don't think most of us would say in our testimony that it was the glory of the Lord that first drew us. It was his gentleness, his tenderness, his love demonstrably shown toward us in his word that drew us. And then when we, almost like if you're, if you're looking at the caricatures, right, the lion and the lamb, I know we look at those at, at some point during the chapter, right, but it's like the lamb is what initially attracted us. And then as we saw the lion, it was like, oh, wow, that's that's him too? Like what? Yeah. You know, I, I, I just think that's, it's a really kind of beautiful summation of understanding like Christ's heart is what, it is so attractive about him and so compelling that it moves our desires and heart towards him and his loveliness. Yeah. And, and I think you bring up a good point, you know, as we discuss uh, this idea uh, of the beauty of Christ, um, you know, you said it's maybe not something we don't think about too much, like yeah. his attractiveness, his beauty. Um, I mean, to what degree do you feel like we might, maybe think about this, even if we don't necessarily talk about it too much, like, you know, as you were pointing out, it, it does play a, a bigger role than I think we realize in how we view God. And like, how do you think that plays out as we try to process through this side of Christ that we're looking at? Yeah. I mean, my, my gut reaction is to actually, I know Kevin kind of like walked it back a little bit because I do think we, we do discuss it and talk about it a little bit, but my gut reaction just personally is that I don't, I don't view or think of Christ or God primarily as, as beautiful or attractive. Let me ask you a question. Do you tend to view what we would even consider godly actions by people as beautiful or attractive? I I would say I don't, I don't think I do either. Now we're like on like a philosophical (laughs) rabbit hole there, but I'm much more inclined to kind of just view it as like, Almost even like a checklist, like, oh, that was a, a good thing or a good yeah. deed or or not oh, this person. That was a terrible thing that you did. Right. Like, like almost we like I call it kind or something like right, that. But right. I, like, what, sure. Like seeing someone serve someone else. I don't know if I would describe that as beautiful. Yeah. I mean, I think these both of these chapters really hit on some words that probably are a little abnormal from, I would say, our culture and using with like or maybe a misunderstanding or misapplication of the English sure. language. Yeah. I mean, you know, when, we, when we're sitting here thinking about, you know, the way that God's describing himself in his word, we're, we're always enslaved to the reality that 
unless we have a robust understanding of the original language, we, we may be missing out on some of the beauty of some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I Well, and I think that's kind of where I, I kind of fall in the issue of, you know, I, I think our brains generally in our culture think very systematically about mm-hmm. things, mm-hmm. right? So we, we like lists, we like things in order. And so when we approach God, we oftentimes do the same thing. At least I do. Right. So when I'm reading scripture and I'm, and I'm seeing things that Jesus did, I'm creating a list of like, oh, things he did when he was within church gathering or, or, or within the synagogue or with his disciple. Like, like I'm more creating a list, not really more seeing like, like you said, oh, that was a beautiful thing that he did here. Or that was a beautiful thing he did there. And what I think we end up creating is this false dichotomy almost where we're like, well, no, this passage or this is just trying to tell us this truth about God or this truth about Christ as a person. Mm. Or we fall or we're like, oh, no, this is just purely to convey like what beauty looks like. Right. And what I was kind of like wrestling and and getting to while I read this chapter and even chapter 11 is. Instead, what I was missing out was instead of looking at all of these attributes and these majestic things that we know about God and Christ, I was missing out the 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 reality that it's not just majestic it's also these attributes are also beautiful right like like they are not just beautiful like what well, to your point like sometimes we think like oh that 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 means it has to be like something that's physically attractive mm-hmm. maybe that's the the watered down definition that we have but it is something that when we are confronted with it 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 does nothing but draw us to it right like that is what something that is beautiful is is supposed to do um, and so when we realize it, 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 it shows us how often, and we do this all the time with theology, right? Like theology is there for one purpose, right? It's, it's there to lead us to worship, right? Like if you, if you study theology and your goal is just to get an answer right or to prove somebody wrong, like you are, you've already missed the entire point of the Bible, right? Like God, God doesn't reveal himself because he wants you to win an argument or be able to write an essay about it. He reveals himself because he is worthy of worship. And that's what we're supposed to do, right? So I, I think this this passage, um, especially chapter 10, really like made me realize like, oh man, there's a lot of things that I see, that I experience, that I just view in these categories, which not that they're not helpful to help me understand, but I'm missing out what their purpose is, which is to show me the beauty of one, what God might be doing through somebody else, but ultimately what what God has in store for us as well. Yeah. Some of this might be connected to maybe our own preferences of personality or, or whatever else too. Because when I think about like personally for myself, right, then I, I think about christ and uh, like i reflect on the the glory of god even um to me it's just so much easier to reflect on his glory and his and his power and his greatness over his beauty toward us you know almost almost in the same way that those that were looking for the coming of the messiah um when christ was walking the earth were was they were looking solely for this conquering king that was going to kick rome out of Israel and regather the the diaspora and 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 pull Israel back together and and reestablish the kingdom and 
And yet there's a, there's a reason why Jesus compares the kingdom of heaven to a pearl of great price instead of a powerful military conquest or a powerful military kingdom. You know, Jesus is like, yeah, f- knowing me is like a, a, a treasure buried in a field, right? Like you buy the field, like, yeah. you, you, like you, get, you sell everything just to be able to bury that thing in the, the field so you can have it. Right? Like that's, like when you read that, I don't know if you want to call it a parable, a story, a comparison. You Obviously, Jesus is speaking in like some hyperbolic language there, right? But like what causes people to do some pretty crazy stuff? Love, uh, yeah. right? Yeah. Especially like when like I would go so far as to say like infatuation with beauty, right? right? And like that's kind of like the language Jesus uses to describe his kingdom. It's like, yeah, like you should be doing crazy stuff. Yeah. <laughs> like if you're if you are completely just enthralled with my beauty, right? This is what a typical response might look like. And so I think like the the encouragement there is hey, that there there can be right for all of us, right? Kind of this consistent examination of how am I approaching, right, the heart of God and, and the beauty that I see there? And, I'm, and, and am I giving it kind of the proper attention and emotions and you know, I'm like struggling for words here at this point, but I think am I am I giving it right it's proper place right on the on the emotional spectrum uh, of how i respond to it sure and we're definitely about to add another word into this discussion that will hopefully enhance that uh kevin um you know and, and as we talk about these words uh you know i just think about maybe some of that macho culture that doesn't like to use certain words uh at all ever and you know i feel like maybe uh, you know, talking about the beauty of Christ or uh, in this case, we're about to use the word romancing, mm. you know, it just seems a little bit more feminine or like, you know, like, well, what the heck is going on? Or odd. Um, or odd. You know, like <laughs> you think about when people have like more lovey-dovey worship songs and people are like, oh, what are they doing? Ugh, those weird charismatics. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you can say that because he is a charismatic. Exactly. Guy, so that's why he's. But, you know, in that, I think. There is a sense that, like, to some degree, there is an aspect of that, but as we'll learn in proper context and, like, understanding that, and and I love that we get to use this word and really process through how it plays out, uh, because I'll ask the question now. Um, the book describes our romancing the heart of Christ, which leads to the question, what does it mean to romance the heart of Christ? And are we romancing the heart of Christ? Yeah, so, yeah. I thought David defined this pretty well when we were um, kind of preparing and thinking through this, right? He said that basically it means taking time and thinking deeply um, of Jesus through what we know of his heart or how we see him display his action or his heart towards us, uh, what moves him most deeply. And, you know, I I think for me, you know, because – we're asking that question of, of, you know, basically, are, are we doing that? Right. So, 
So for me personally, <laughs> I think I have a unique opportunity as a as a pastor, yeah, right of the local church. You know, when I'm preaching the gospel and 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 preaching the good news of of my savior to somebody and I and I get to talk about the excellencies and the beauty of Jesus, I I think I get a unique opportunity to be reminded of the beauty of Christ when when I'm trying to help other people see and experience his beauty themselves. So pondering Christ's beauty and love for others is helpful to me personally in romancing that. Now, now the cool thing is, is you don't have to be a, a vocational pastor to talk about the beauties of Jesus with other people. You know, like right. some of the times where I think about like maybe where I experience this the most personally is when I'm talking about Jesus with my sons. Mm. You know, when we're, when I'm trying to, communicate the beauty of Jesus and who he is to my young sons in a way that they, they can understand and relate it to their own unique situation and and at their age there there's a there's a real gift that the Lord kind of gives you and that as you're kind of preaching to someone else or talking about the beauty of who he is to someone else that there's a reminder of his beauty for you, right? I I have here that reminding others of his beauty has this compounding influence in encouraging us as well. Mm, yeah. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's why I always find it funny when people are like, well, I, you know, I really struggle to fair, share my faith or whatever. It's like, you, you like, you have a hard time talking about how great Jesus is. Like, I, like I get the aspects of like apologetics, not being attracted to that or like whatever, but like just talking about like how, amazing Jesus is maybe I'm unique in this. And so you guys can tell me this. I really don't find that to be that difficult. I'm like, yeah, like we're talking about the greatest man who ever walked the earth and gave his life for humanity. I don't find that to be a topic that really is like that boring to talk about or that hard. Now, you know, if you're in a philosophical argument with somebody over that, I could get how that wouldn't be that attractive, but just talking about the beauty of Jesus Christ, like, Gosh, man, like people that don't even think that Jesus is God's son in the flesh and don't view him as a penal substitutionary atonement for for the sins of the world still call him things like good teacher or like a good moral guy or like a a, a great person to emulate. Like, why? Because of the beauty of his heart. Yeah, absolutely. And, And it's definitely, I think, a call to us to be constant and like, is it in our rhythms to talk about the beauty of Christ and Jesus? And like, I think that's such a great um, encouragement for us is like, let this be a regular rhythm of your life to like, what is the Lord doing in your life? How is he moving? How is Jesus like a light and a hope through all the craziness and being constant in sharing that? Because that's not only encouragement to others, but it is an encouragement to you to reflect and really ponder. And I think, you know, as you said, sorry, David, I know you're about to say some stuff to you, but um, just taking time and thinking deeply of Jesus through his heart. Like, do we take time to just think deeply and reflect on all that he has done, is doing, and is going to do? Yeah. I, listen, I actually don't have that much to say. I know it looks like I have a lot to say. <laughs> I, I kind of already showed my cards with 
with what I talked about with doctrine, but I think this question like just lends itself to the same thing, right? Because like I said earlier, if we study doctrine and theology just purely for head knowledge, but miss the aspect that it's, it's literally calling us to, to adore and worship who God is, right? Like we, we miss, we miss the point. So you mean doctrine's not supposed to be used to belittle other people and show that you're right and they're wrong? Shocker. Shocking. I know. <laughs> But I, I say that because my tribe tends to struggle with that particular cor- aspect of doctrine. Correct. Yeah. And, <laughs> and and I love I love how Dane puts it in the book. He says the whole reason we care about sound doctrine is for the sake of preserving God's beauty. And like I said, I I'm definitely someone who falls into this camp where like I think doctrine is very important and theology is like very important and worth studying to the point where like some people would be like, dude. What you just spent explaining to me for 20 minutes is nuance that I don't care about. And I think 99% of humanity is with me. And to that, I say fair. But but the point that I need to keep in my mind and anybody else who is interested in theology, any Christian really, is doctrine is important. But the reason that it's important is not often why we make it important. So it's important because it shows and preserves God's beauty. That is why it's worth standing up for and defending and even sometimes arguing over, right? Because we're, we're trying to preserve what we think the Holy Scriptures reveals to us as God and who he is. But it's not to belittle somebody else. It's not to prove that I'm right. It's not so that I can just have the right answer. That's not the ultimate point. I mean, the, and this is why when we come to Scripture so, so many times, with, with that mentality, we leave disappointed. Well, why didn't God make this plain and clear? Maybe because his point was not for you to have a plain and clear answer about that question, but instead to sit down, think about what he's revealing to you, and just flat out worship him, right? And so, yeah, I, I think I think we get to do this in many ways. You guys already highlighted some of them. I think within our church community, this is something that we get to do weekly in our in our gospel community groups, right? Like just this ability of one sharing with somebody else the the beautiful things that we're learning or seeing in scripture and getting to to receive that from somebody else as well i think it's an opportunity that we shouldn't take lightly exactly so uh thank you for that david um you know i i love these sections because uh sorry i do love to talk about personality type stuff um (laughs) when you have like I, I lean more towards the feeler side and the thinking feeling. Um, and I love this book because it challenges us to press into both sides of that. Right. Um, you know, we're not here just to think through all these uh, deep thoughts, but really understand like, where is that emotional side? And speaking of emotions, as we talk about Christ's beauty, we do start to see that there is an emotional side of him. Uh, which leads us to, before we explore some of those emotions that, that we see in Scripture and we'll talk about in a minute, uh, we first ask the question, is Jesus a human right now? What is the implication of this for how we are to understand Christ's heart? So the answer is yes. We can just move on. Um, <laughs> just leave it at that. Yes. All right, moving on. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, so this this whole I- idea or concept of, Christ's ascension as a whole, I think oftentimes gets ignored a little bit, right? Like 
we have a, a whole weekend celebration where we get like an extra 130 people who come to our church to celebrate the resurrection of Christ, which we're talking right, about Easter, by the way, for anyone who's questioning or right wondering. on, we should absolutely be celebrating Easter. Right. But like his, his narrative doesn't end there. Right. We know that he spends time with his disciples and eventually ascends on high in his glorified body. Right. And so I think this is important to remember and Dane makes this point in the book for, for two practical reasons. Um, first is because now when we read the passions and affections of Jesus towards sinners in the Gospels, right? That doesn't have to be something we think of as, oh, Jesus would have felt this way towards me thousands of years ago, right? We can actually say this is actually how Jesus feels when confronted with my sin right now. Right, as we were just talking about in the previous couple episodes right. of the podcast. Yes, right? yes, yes, yes. Oh, it's almost like this guy wrote a coherent book. Um, <laughs> no, it, it really is. It's it's it, it's all time. When we think of like what we discuss it about interse- intercession. It definitely matters. Yes, absolutely. Um, and, and second, and this, he doesn't lean into this as much in the book, but I think it's, it's another practical outworking for us, especially coming off uh, Easter Sunday, is this idea that if we believe that Jesus was resurrected with, with a human body and he has ascended to heaven in, 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 with his glorified body, then that is the same hope that we can also grasp onto, right? That we too will be resurrected with glorified hearts and be in the presence of him for eternity. That's good news. Absolutely. Right. Dane says in the book, right, the son has not retreated back into the Mm. disembodied divine state in which he existed before he took on flesh. Right. And I think some of us like have this idea of like, okay, well, yeah, he came as a man, but like, okay, now he's in whatever bizarre spirit form that we tend to (laughs) sometimes try to like put on God and go, we do not have the time to discuss. We don't. Pneumatology. We do not. (laughs) And we're not going to. So it's great. But, I mean, as Calvin puts it, the Son of God, having clothed himself with our flesh of his own accord, clothed himself also with human feelings, so that he did not differ at all from his brethren, sin only accepted. Good news. Jesus today feels things like compassion, right? things we're, we're, we're talking about, about his very heart towards us, his tenderness, right? His, his meekness, his gentleness, his lowliness, even his anger, right? Experiencing those very emotions today righteously, right? Because he is a man sitting at the right hand of the Father. Like that, that, that should be comforting. Right? Like he can and does relate to us. And we know his heart is for us. Yeah. Pretty comforting. Yeah. Yeah. I, sorry, Dan. That just reminded me. There's, I'm sure you've heard of this book, but On the Incarnation by Athanasius, he, he has this line in there where he's like, I don't remember like verbatim, but he basically says, like, that which he did not assume he could not redeem. And it's like this idea of all of those things that you're saying, like are this this full human range of emotions, it it should give us comfort that Christ took all of 
all of that it means to be human, he 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 took that upon himself so that he not just so he could live and say, hey, I, I already did it, so you should do it as well, but so that he could redeem us. And that's that's our hope. That's our hope that we will also one day feel, like you said, things rightfully and righteously, right? Not just in in the broken way that we feel and, and experience things right now. It, it's almost as if the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, when he tells us that God is reconciling all things mm-hmm. to himself through Christ yeah. Jesus, genuinely means all things. <laughs> yeah. All of it. Like what? What a mind-boggling concept! Yeah, truly. So, uh, Kevin, would you mind sharing with us uh, the portion by BB Warfield to our understanding of the heart of Christ that Dane uh, references in this book? Yeah. So, BB Warfield says this. And what if that human were still a human, though now in heaven? and looked at each of us spiritual lepers with unfiltered compassion, an outflowing affection not limited by the sinful self-absorption that restricts our own compassion. I mean, like, think about that for a second. Because he's obviously asking that question rhetorically. You know, what if that human were still a human and 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 now in heaven he looks at each of us spiritual lepher, lepers with unfiltered compassion well he does and not only this but it's an outflowing affection not limited by the sinful self-absorption that restricts our own compassion mm. All right, his compa- like like just imagine this for a second like think about if you're listening for a second the last time you were angry and what fueled that anger? Like, if I'm honest, compassion was not fueling my anger. The last <laughs> time I was angry. Really? Wow. <laughs> and yet, like, when you even see, like, the examples of Jesus, right, angry in the scriptures, it's it's often tied to compassion. Like, like people are like, oh, like, Jesus got angry in the in the temple because... Uh, you know, the money changers and he was flipping the tables. Yeah, but that's because of his compassion towards his children and his father's place of worship was being desecrated and turned into a place to make money instead of a place for people to, to know about God's love for them. It was his compassion for God's children that drove that anger, not some righteous indignation towards which very much by the way is a thing right uh, some righteous indignation that existed because they were profaning the name of god which by the way they very much so were doing but i would argue right when you see jesus respond in in in, in righteous anger it's fueled by compassion for his sheep i mean even even as he like cries out right that um, that one time for Jerusalem, he's like, oh, how I would love to have gathered you in underneath my wings, right? Like he's furious <laughs> with what he sees in them. And yet it's fury wrapped up in compassion. Now realize 
that is who is sitting at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, interceding for you, and that is his heart toward us. Right? He's not... That's why if, if, if no matter where you stand on like a political spectrum or where you stand on the neutral world being destroyed, and I know I'm throwing some terms out here for people that aren't interested in that kind of thing. But we're not going to go right? into it, and that's um, great. That so often what drives those things is is rightness or even a quest for truth. But if it's not rooted in in compassion for the other side, it's it's null and void, right? It says, like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, right? It's nothing more than a, a clanging sim- symbol or a, a banging gong, right? Because right? it lacks love. Yeah, there's so much that we could talk about, <laughs> not just about the emotional life of Christ, but the emotional life of God, right? And what that entails. We're obviously not going to try to address any of that here. Don't freak out, Isaiah. I'm not um, freaking out. Don't worry. I'm but, listening. <laughs> <laughs> um, but practically, you know, Warfield is trying to help us see the beauty that 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 is apparent to us in Jesus' demonstration of emotion, right? We oftentimes have bad uh, bad interactions with people getting emotional, right? Like so much so that I would I would say that if you tell someone you got emotional there, they might they probably assume you you mean something negative. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, right? for sure. Um, and what he's trying to say is even our emotions that we oftentimes tie them to negative circumstances or negative situations. Even those things, Jesus shows us that they are actually beautiful and redeemable. He 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 boils it down like this. He says he's has not only saved us from the evils which oppress us, he has felt for and with us in our oppression, and under the impulse of these feelings has wrought out our redemption. Even our emotions will be redeemed. Again, just beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. So with that, I do want to uh, hit on something that Kevin was saying, you know, and as we dive into this a little bit further, as we think about the heart of Christ, we have to look at the whole Jesus, right? And that Kevin was kind of hitting on that we have those moments when he shows compassion um, to the sick or like when he cries and like when he just has just a a deep heart uh, of just like sorrow for people to this other end of the spectrum where he is literally flipping tables and he's made a cord or a whip of cords, you know, like, and and he has like this anger. So what is the connection between Christ's compassion and his anger? Are these two at odds or, you know, why or why not? Yeah. So like, like you said with the question, most people think these are completely at odds, right? You can either have compassion or, um, you can be angry, right? And the the point that Dane tries to make in the book is that they're actually one and the same. They they rise and fall together, right? So the the logic goes that if Jesus is, is perfect and has perfect compassion, he has to get angry, right? Like he, it, there's no way that the the phrase that he uses is like Jesus is the perfect man who loves too much to remain indifferent. Mm, I love that one, right? In in the example he uses, which I think is a practical one that I think all of our listeners are going to understand 
is that of a father who loves his daughter, right? His anger is going to rise when she's mistreated, right? And the more the mistreatment is, the more compassion he's going to have and ultimately the anger he's going to get, right? And so I think it helps put that into perspective because it can be very easy to take either of these arguments and say, well, Jesus had compassion, so that means I should just be indifferent and not care about anything. Mm. Or fall to the other extreme and be like, well, Jesus flipped tables, so I should be able to just walk around and flip tables whenever I want, which is why what Kevin said was so so useful. Ask yourself before you're going to flip the tables, what's fueling that desire to fill to, to flip the tables? Is it compassion for someone who's being taken advantage of and wronged? Or is it you're just an angry dude who's trying to blow off some steam or an angry gal who's just trying to get get her point across or, or whatever it is? So I think this is a helpful thing to think through and about. Yeah, I, I mean, I think about this in terms of injustice, specifically when others have been sent against. And, and one, right, know that if, like, if you've, if you see injustice and you feel anger towards it, like Jesus is there with you, like alongside yes. you in that. And it's okay to be angry against things that are not godly. But when we talk about his compassion driving that, like I think the the woman who's about to be stoned in the Gospel of John is a great example of this. Right. Because I would argue he shows great compassion for that woman, but he also shows great compassion towards those who are about to stone her. Because he doesn't turn around and attack them in his defense of her or like physically. He does physically put himself between her and them, right? But he calls them out on their sin, right? He's righteously angry at at their reaction to the situation. And yet he still shows and has compassion on them. Right? I, I, I think in our culture and context today it is very easy to even describe yourself as righteously angry and biblically be able to prove your point and show it and still struggle to understand how compassion can play a role in that and i don't know if this is because social media is a place where it's like too, it's too hard to display compassion. I don't know if it's just because we don't understand biblically the heart of Christ enough to how we should then emulate him. But like I, when I think about like things like, you know, the me too movement or protecting those that have been disenfranchised or, or brought lowly. Mm-hmm. So much of what I see in that is, is a righteous anger towards injustice, but not fueled by compassion, but fueled to be on the right side of not being a part of the injustice. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that that is enough. And that is therefore why I think we see so much failing from a secular political, cultural perspective in our contexts, right? We get maybe even the answer correct on the injustice, but we don't get the application of responding to that. Right. And and I think you said like with that heart issue of a lot of times there's selfishness and pride behind that in those discussions where like either people want to be right or people, like you said, want to be on the right side of the discussion. 
and you know not be in the wrong place uh, and may not be doing it for the right reasons. So you, you do have a lot of struggle with, again, when we go to the heart, the root issues of why we do things, we can do the right things for the wrong reasons sometimes, and it's not going to have that same uh, force and like foundation to do it well and do it rightly. Yeah, what, what if compassion drove our responses in these situations? Both, both for the perpetrator and for the victim. And I know that that's not going to be popular, right? I know like immediately saying right, that, like no, that absolutely. is not going to make me popular. But Jesus didn't just die for the victim. Right. And I, that's what makes the gospel so outrageous to people. Mm. But we as believers cannot lose sight of that. You know, when I think about like horrific, horrific sin towards others, right? I was a young kid, and this is one of the first memories I have is coming home and seeing the Oklahoma City bombing happen. You guys may have learned about it in history class because you probably weren't even alive yet when this thing happened. I'm dating Whoa. myself a little bit here. All right, all right. One of the things the media show was like on the first floor of that, there was like a flipping daycare. And these kids died because of this guy. And like when I see, I can still see that guy, Timothy McVeigh, right? His face, because of how often it was on the, on, the, on the news. Christ's compassion and heart is both towards the victims in that bombing, but is also towards the perpetrator of that bombing. And I think we lose sight of that sometimes. And it causes us, maybe even on, on the front end, with proper motives towards justice and maybe what we'd even describe biblical justice but when we miss compassion in the midst of it we go the way of the world and so maybe if it, you know we're, we're called be the church right we want to we want to see people live this out right yeah don't back down from social justice causes don't back down from the the dilemmas we see people debating on but i promise you if you're a Christian listening to this podcast right now, if you approach this not just with the biblical definition of justice and righteousness in mind, but also the compassion that is supposed to be rightly attached to that righteous anger, I promise you there'll be something different about it. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. That was a... Excellent couple chapters with some really, really good insight into the heart of Christ. Um, I, I'm going to say we should leave it there. Um, yep. So with that, uh, thank you all for listening. Um, I'm giving you a nod of approval. Yes, thank you. We're waving. Um, be sure to, if you have any questions, um, you know, reach out to us at podcast at com, or maybe something might be challenging in these and you just want to process through it. Again, reach out to us. We are happy to continue this conversation. If you have ideas for future podcasts uh, based on what you're hearing now or what you're just thinking about, again, reach out to us. Be sure to follow, like, subscribe, share with your friends. Uh, you know, if this is helping you, then by all means, like let others uh, hear it as well. And with that, we appreciate you guys and we hope to see you next time. Go and be the church. Kill Mauricio. Mauricio. Kill. Kill. There's, there's a little bug rolling around. Isaiah, you killed it. Yes. <laughs>
Rock, 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 rock,